<laughs> Hello, Jack. My God, it's Uncle Wiggily. And he's got some wonderful stories for you. So, uh, come on, honey, sit on my knee. Yeah, it's a big yourself comfortable. Don't tell some stories. I mean, real controversy, as that uh, bear Mr. Train opus. In fact, I'll tell you a little bit about it. You know that that there's that there's the, the the letter writers who write about this are evenly divided. One guy says, "Shepard, the minute you start the bear Mr. Train, I turn on Barry Gray." <laughs> and another guy says, "Shepard, if you go for five minutes without playing the bear Mr. Train, I turn on my girlfriend." They're a very different type. So, uh, oh, by the way, sport fans, it's time once again. Good evening, sport fans. This is Spike McBullet with tonight's sports report. Tonight, we salute another great champion. Yes, all the thrill of victory and all the devastating defeats. So, good evening, sport fans. It's time to salute a great American champion. It isn't often at this corner in the sports desk that 
a fan gets saluted. And tonight, we're going to salute a great champion. He performs out in Cleveland, Ohio. And we'd like to listen, if we dare, to the story of this great champion tonight. Among regular patrons, in the upper deck boxes, at the Cleveland Indians baseball games, Mr. Paul Headland is known as the Glove. Those who view him occasionally from a safe distance call him an overgrown kid with a baseball glove. But we do not take that view. Here is a true sportsman. Undergrown little kids in the stands mistake him for a bully, a meanie, or a greedy old man. Ushers sometimes chastise him for being a nuisance. And we quote Mr. Headland at this point. He says, I couldn't care less what people think or say. Headland, who is the father of two and a teacher at Salem High School in Ohio, ranks right up there with Tris Speaker as one of the greatest fly chasers in Indian history. Headland, however, does his thing in the stands. If you have gone out to the Cleveland Indians ballpark, you may have noticed him. He's the fellow who once tumbled head over heels down 17 flights of steps, down the upper steep deck concrete stairs, chasing a foul ball. Three years ago, Headland decided to actively pursue foul balls hidden in the stands. He was ceasing to be passive. He was going to move right out. He went into Friday night's game this past week with 99 recoveries. 99 foul balls. And he's confident before the season is over of reaching 100. And we quote him again. For every ball I've got, I've given up large areas of skin. Says Headland, who wears his oldest clothes to the games because he careens over and under seats, chasing the bouncing balls. He once gashed open a leg. His shins show bruises from his knee all the way down to his ankles. My wife thinks I'm nuts, says Headland. I tell him he's going to fall out of the stands, says his wife, Carol Sue. Well, you need the brakes. I've spoken like a true sportsman. You need the brakes. And you got to hustle. And, of course, there's talent. There is talent, Headland says in defense of his actions. Headland attends at least 20 games a season, and he arrives early. During batting practice, he sits in the lower left field stands, crouched, waiting, with his Tris Speaker model fielder's mitt at the ready. When the game starts, he moves into action, up to his seat in the upper deck behind home plate. He always buys a seat on the aisle. He never, at any point, removes his gloves. He is considering getting a pair of spiked shoes. Often he doesn't even sit in his seat. Quote, ushers sometimes tell me to sit down, says Headland, who pays little attention, of course, being a true ball fan who never sits during a game. During, against certain batters, he cheats a bit. Left-handed hitters tend to foul off balls to the left side of home plate, and right-handers to the right side. He has discovered, and now he plays each hitter. He knows their habits. His personal record is four game balls in one game, in one night game, in 1970, when the Indians played the Orioles. What does he do with the balls? A good question, sport fans. I give them away, he said. Sometimes I give them to kids. Sometimes I just keep them. Other times I give them as Christmas presents. It depends on who's hit the ball. A ball hit by Richie Allen, for example, is far more valuable than a ball hit by Gene Michaels, the light-hitting shortstop of the New York Yankees. Then Mr. Headland excused himself, left this interview, and picked up his glove to do a little practice running out in the backyard. You've got to keep your knees loose, he said, as he disappeared around the garage. So tonight, the sports desk has saluted Paul Headland, champion and American sportsman.
sports, personalities, and the news is presented every week at the same time over this station. This is Spike McBullet, your coach in the stands. Saying to all of your sport fans and all of you fans of any sport, everywhere, wherever you might be tonight, remember, it ain't how you play the game, it's whether you win or not. That's what counts. Tonight's Sportsonality program was produced by Rune Arledge. Directed by Chris Schenkel. Photography and additional bombast by Howard Cosell. This is the Blue Network. That, that why did they put this stuff on my show for God's sake? Why don't they put the sports report on you know damn but hey wait before you put that away can I can I hear just the last just just set uh, set that on for the last roughly in the last minute I want to show you something <laughs> one thing about Souza he wrote for some unusual instruments and listen carefully to the sound in about the well, about the last minute or so of this coda. Listen, listen to it. Okay, you hear what you hear, hear? What's in the background there? All right, I'll tell you, because I, I assume you have a tin ear. What he has, <laughs> what he wrote for it was the was a referee whistle, and there's a referee whistle in there, 
And, and one of the, my great artistic moments in my artistic life came, you know, one day when our band director, see, I'm playing in a band, and we used to do the uh, Stars and Stripes Forever. When one of our big auditorium specials, you know, when we have a big auditorium session, we'd play the Stars and Stripes Forever. And then one day, he, he just, he's looking at the bass section back there, you know, the six of us sitting back there, me and Schwartz and Ernie Dunker. Freddie Roller, you know, all these great artists back there, and we're all sitting there with our sousaphones around our neck, because we love to play the Stars and Stripes for a minute. That's, that's, a, that's a buster when you're, when you're a sousaphone player. And he's looking over the crowd there, and I'm sitting back there tilting, you know, I, I used to love to tilt my, my sousaphone back. You know, you, if you don't know what a sousaphone is, a sousaphone is what most people call a bass horn. Uh, that's actually a sousaphone. It was invented by Sousa, see? And, uh, yeah, and they call it a sousaphone because he was trying to figure out a way that you could take a bass horn, which is an upright instrument. It, you know, it's a great big thing. It sits on a stand. He was trying to figure a way that you could take one of these out on a, on a field and you could march with it. So he just straightened the baby out, you know, hung it around a guy's shoulder, and that's called a sousaphone. It's a big baby and big bells. And one of the little tricks that sousaphone players love to do is when they're rehearsing is to see how far back they can tilt their chair <laughs> without literally falling over backwards, you know, without the thing overpowering you. I'm sitting back there, you know, tilting back, rocking on two legs. You know, you, you, you get so good that you, your sousaphone will balance you, and you can sit with your two feet up in the front and the two front feet of the chair up and just sit, immobile, balanced. Oh, that's talent. Well, uh, he just looked up and down the crowd scene. He says, uh, you, Shepard, he says, tonight at the concert, and I think, oh, boy, here, here we go. You know, I, I was always getting hell for my... Because I used to ad-lib a lot on my sousaphone. Yeah, I used to... T Once in a while, I would play the clarinet part. Because uh, they always had the great part. You know, they would go... they get these trills, you know, and I'd play the clarinet part. Once in a while, I'd play the peckhorn part. And uh, occasionally, I would fall in with the trumpets, play their part. They have the, you know, the great uh, the great uh, trumpet fan. You know, that's the trumpet part. See, the bass part is... You know, so you like to play the... The good parts once in a while. He, he points to me and says, You, Shepard, tonight at the concert, I want you on whistle. <laughs> well, the reason I got on whistle that night was that uh, Al Longnecker, who usually played the whistle and uh, also played the timpani, had gotten the pip. He got a fantastic rash of cold sores or something that day and uh, was not going to be at the concert. So he says, You play tonight the whistle. So we rehearsed me playing the whistle. And that night, uh, you know, and the, it, see, because you, when you play the whistle, you stand up. You know, like the like the uh, guy that plays the cymbals, gets something crashes. Well, I stand up with this police was a great big, actually, the big silver referee whistle. And uh, every time it says whistle, I blow the hell out of it, and people would cheer. <laughs> it's showbiz, you know. This is WOR New York, uh, and speaking of showbiz, listen carefully.
once in a generation, an artistic event of outstanding importance occurs. Abraham Lincoln at Gettysburg. Napoleon at Waterloo. Gene Shepard at Carnegie Hall. Yes, this is a very important announcement. If you miss this very important announcement, you are really going to be sorry. I, Gene Shepard, your fearless leader, am going to do one show in New York this season. I repeat, one show. So if you boot this one, you have no excuse. Do not say you were not warned. Gene Shepard at Carnegie Hall. me, gang, Gene Shepard. I will be unbelievably live at Carnegie Hall Tuesday, October 17th at 8 p.m. I repeat, Tuesday, October 17th, we will have with us Sinful Street, which is a better-than-average group, and we will have a lot of fantastic surprises for you. You better get your tickets now. Get your tickets now. They are $350, $450, and $550, which is a great bargain for Carnegie Hall. You can get your tickets by mail, by sending a check or money order, and stamp self-addressed envelope too. Carnegie Hall, 154 West 57th Street, New York, 10019. And be sure to tell them you want tickets to The Gene Shepherd Show. You will never forget it. You will, I repeat, never forget it. For further information, call Carnegie Hall box office at area code 212-247-7459. Don't call me. Hey, man. Thank you. Oh, what a production. Well, it's true. I mean, how many how many times in a lifetime does a guy do a one-man show at Carnegie Hall, man? You better be there. That is an order. As a matter of fact, that is an assignment. You're not going to get out of it. It's an assignment. <laughs> an assignment. Oh, the continuing adventures of Lionel Marshall, proprietor of over 75 shoe-town stores. The man with super shoeman powers known the world over as Super Shoe. Today we find Lionel in his fantastic Shoetown Children's Department. I think I want... Let's see if I can guess. He must want a pair of my famous brand children's shoes, superbly fit by one of our trained salesmen at costs so low that if it weren't for Super Shoe, I'd never be able to do it. Say, how about these? They're great. I don't know. Well, how about these? We've got a fantastic selection, you know. No, not those either, Dad. Why can't we just call Super Shoe? He'll know exactly what I want. Someday, I suppose I'll just have to tell him, but not today. Not now. Super Shoe's fantastic children's department, only at Shoetown. All right, baby, Shoe Town has hikers, the rugged, comfortable work shoes for kids. Hikers, 
on sale through Saturday, just five fifty-five for Oxfords and six sixty-six for Boots. And men through Saturday save thirty percent on comfortable Scott Allen tube socks. Yeah, put socks on your tubes. Now just fifty-five cents a pair <laughs> at Shoe Town. <laughs> I don't know. I just read the copy. I don't invent the. I don't invent the news, honey. I just read it. <laughs> Uh, don't you wish the Times was like, hey, hey uh, would you like a magazine that tells all about the latest trends in home furnishings? Wouldn't that be exciting? Wow. A magazine with nearly 100 pages bursting with colorful ideas for decorating your home or your hovel. Well, Sunday's New York Times has it. It's the home. That's capitalized, by the way. A complete magazine devoted entirely to living at home, which is what some people often try to do. In the home magazine, you'll discover, for instance, why modern design is gaining wider acceptance in home decoration. Yes, here's a shopping guide, a browsing guide to home furnishings today. The home magazine, a big added attraction in Sunday's New York Times. And let's see, they have a couple of other little goodies going this Sunday, so uh, be sure to pick up your New York Times this Sunday. should weigh about 15, 20 pounds this week. So get your copy of Sunday's New York Times. And for information about home delivery of the Times, call MU70700, area code 212, of course, MU70700, the friendly New York Times. Uh, how's this grab you, gang? If breakfast leaves you cold, it leaves you cold, you sit there and say, I don't want to eat. Uh, warm up a nice hot dish of Wolf's Kasha. That'll scare them. Nut-flavored little kernels of roasted buckwheat grain. Now you might expect to find Wolf's Kasha at the supermarket in the cereal section, but it is not. With all the fantastic vitamins, minerals, and protein in Wolf's Kasha, you might expect it in the health food section, sitting next to the tiger's milk. But it's not. With all the exotic dishes you can make with Wolf's Kasha, you might expect to find it, you know, sitting next to caviar in the gourmet section. But it isn't. Well, where the hell do you get it? Oh, try the kosher section of your supermarket. Wolf's Kasha is probably sitting right there next to the gefilte fish. Now that you've uh, finally find, you found Wolf's Kasha on the shelf, find out how to make great experiments with it. In fact, they have a fantastic recipe for Kasha popsicles. For a free copy of Wolf's Kasha cookbook, which is an incredible book, fantastically illustrated, write to Wolf's in care of me. Wolf's in care of me. That Wolf is with two F's. W-O-R, New York, 10018. And then uh, let's see, do you need tires? Well, uh... See the tire pros at your local General Tire headquarters for all your tire needs, from sports cars to sedans, from sedan chairs to compacts to king-size cars. General Tire makes the tires you need. So you go down to your tire, that with a big red G there, General Tire, and you ask them about those fantastic belted radials. And in the Bronx, you can see good old Murray Lester or Sam Ayola at Bronx General Tire 579 Grand Concourse, of which there is no grander. Uh, oh, yeah, you know, I'm, I just have to, you know, speaking of, uh, of I, I can't forget, though, that guy's crouching out in the stands there right now, probably tonight. Uh, Cleveland's probably playing a night game. He doesn't know who the hell's winning or anything. He just keeps watching for those fouls. Now, you know, the reason that that is such a great story is that there hasn't been a ball fan ever to himself hasn't said I say there is no ball fan so dead in the head who himself has never said, I wish I could get a foul just once. You know, many a ball fan has gone his entire career. Now, that doesn't mean much to a lot of you non-ball fans. But many a ball fan has gone his entire career without so much as getting within seven sections 
of a foul ball. Now, maybe you don't know, for those of you who are non-baseball fans, when a foul ball is hit into the stands, it's any man for himself, and whoever gets it can keep it. So when there's 35,000 people out at the stands, <laughs> the odds ain't good. And here's a guy that's knocked down 99 foul balls in one season. That has to go in the record book. I mean, don't you agree, Jerry? I mean, that, that is a record that, that's going to stand for a long time. Now, that's going to stand with Murray Wills, you know, with Murray Wills stealing 108 bases or whatever it is, because this is an unparalleled record. I mean, it's like a guy winning. It's roughly the same as a pitcher. All of a sudden, comes out of the Bush Leagues, and he wins, say, in one season, 74 games. I mean, that would just play hell with the records, wouldn't it? I mean, it would be forget it after that, you know. Well, here's a guy that's caught 90, and he's confident of making 100 by the end of the season. Well, now, uh, you know, this is, well, how many home games did he play? That means, he, and he got four foul balls in one game. That, that has to be a record. That absolutely has to be. And, you know, I'll tell you a little story. If any of you guys are sport fans out there, I'm going to tell you a story. This is a sickening story. I shouldn't really tell it to you. But, uh, no, I will. I'll, I will. You see, I've always had a theory that uh, heroism is a combination of factors. One, heroism is being at the right place at the right time, right? I mean, you know, how can you ever save a child from a safe falling from the 10th floor, you know, that's been uh, without being on the scene? I mean, you have to be there when it's happening. Now, the next factor is you have to have quick reflexes. <laughs> Also, the third factor is you have to have kind of a dumb mind which does not calculate the consequences of what you are about to undertake. Those three factors, say, make, uh, they, they make congressional medal winners, really, ultimately. Well, I'll tell you a story. Now, you know, here it is. It's pro football season now, right? Well, to get a seat or a ticket for any one of the pro football games in New York City is roughly, I mean, it's roughly like getting a private papal audience. I mean, it ain't the easiest thing to do. You can do it. You can do it. But you, to do it, you have to have a combination of pull. You have to have a combination of all kinds of things. Luck. you got to know the right guy. I don't know who those people are that go out and get, get those seats in the giant games week after week after week. I don't know. You know, it's a special population within a population. The people in the stands. I mean, uh, you know, here you are. You're sitting out there watching it up in some place in the upper, uh, you know, upper Norwich, Connecticut, just beyond the blackout line where you're sitting in a motel watching the Giants game with snow coming down on the field. And uh, that's about as close to the game as you'll ever get. Now, you mean you don't know about that thing? Well, okay, I won't explain that to you. Well, anyway, Shepard unexpectedly got a, got a ticket to a Giants game. Now, uh, this was, by the way, when the Giants were a hot ball club. Now, you know, it's a, you know, you know. Uh, but this is when the Giants had, you know, Y.A. Tittle and all that stuff, and, man, they were killing everybody, see? And the Frank Gifford was catching those passes, going out the sidelines, and, oh, they had a great team. And they were, you know, they were, they were really a powerhouse. Well, one day, the phone rings. The guy says, uh, hey, Shepard, you sitting down? And I said, yeah, I'm sitting down. What's up? What happened? He says, don't mention it to anybody, but I have a spare ticket to the Giants versus the Baltimore Colts this Sunday. Would you like to go? This is a silly question. I mean, in New York, anybody who's asked a question like that is ridiculous. You know, it's uh, like 
if somebody comes up and says to you, would you like to live forever, what's your answer? You know, you're not going to say, ah, no, no, I, <laughs> very few people. So I says, my God, okay, where? Where, 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 where do we get it, you know, huh? And he says, all right, I'll tell you what you do. You meet me in the main parking lot, right, outside of the, of, uh, of uh, at that time they were playing in the, the Yankee Stadium. Was it Yankee Stadium? Polo Grounds. I'm sorry, it was the Polo Grounds. Yeah, Polo Grounds. He says, you meet me at a big parking lot out there. He says, you meet me by the entrance to the parking lot. He says, the one when you come right off of the Triborough Bridge, you get in there, I say, I says, okay, I'll be there. So it was a bitter cold day, as it is often uh, during pro football. The end of the season, one of those really desperate games where the Baltimore Colts, you know, with Johnny Unitas, they're battling down the... And 28 million people are out there. Oh, you never saw such a crowd in your life. It's a fantastic crowd. And if you've ever seen, had the chance to see a football game or anything in the polo grounds, you know, they always write about Ebbets Field and what a great feeling. But I will tell you this. Ebbets Field, and I saw a couple of games at Ebbets Field, polo grounds, it was a, a, a special feeling. You ever, you ever been in the polo grounds? You know that special feeling? It's, it's a really intimate feeling. It's a, the, the stands towered up. And there was a kind of a deep shadow that would drift down. And it, it, it sort of enclosed you. It was a really, a, really an, an interesting field. And so I, I'm out there, you know, like a half an hour early. See, I'm going I'm to see the football game. And there's thousands of people coming in. And this game had been built up. You might remember back in the days when, when Y.A. Tittle and, and Unitas were having these great duels. And they've been built up for, you know, for, for weeks. This is going to be the big game. See, there's thousands of people there tied for first place in the NFL and all that jazz. It's about uh, you know second to the last game they're going to play before the big uh, you know the big championship game. It's a fantastic crowd out there, and the and the people came there uh, to just be outside the stadium. Did you know that? That uh, I mean, who didn't had no chance to get in. I mean, they didn't come there hoping for a ticket, but they would sit out there uh, outside of the stadium polo grounds, and they would have their transistor radios. And they're listening to the football game, and then they would hear the cheers, you see, <laughs> coming right out of the stadium. You're, wow! You're fantastic cheers. And he has a feeling like he's actually at the game, because, you know, there he is. They're selling programs and scorecards and all that. It was that kind of scene, see? So I'm, I'm out by the parking lot there waiting for my buddy to come. I'll tell you who it was. It was a guy that owned the limelight. And an uh, old friend of mine, see? And uh, he, he, he comes ambling along. Uh, in, in his old station wagon. I says, gee, hey, you know, hey, how are you? You know, and there he is. And he's really got the ticket. See, I figured at the last minute he would say that his mother, who has a wooden leg, insisted on coming, you know, the only game she'll ever see in her life, and that stuff. You know, you always expect that. And sure enough, he drives past me in this old station wagon, and his hand shoots out of the window, and he's got these two tickets in his hand, see. He just holds them up like that. And of course, 19 guys tried to kill him right there, see. And they had, they were they were a special color in the polo grounds. They had a special color. If you were within the thirty yard line from one thirty yard line to the next thirty yard line, that means right around the fifty yard line, which is the greatest seats in the world. If you were in that area, they were yellow. So he holds up these two big yellow seats. My God, I'm not even going to seat. See, I'm going to be right there where it's happening. See, so he holds it up. Well, I I wait. He parks the car, and it's cold. Oh man, was it cold? It was like, you know, some nights. Uh, in New York, as 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 the sun starts going down, it starts getting colder and colder, and uh, here it was about one thirty, and already it's it's down around ten or twelve. A bitter cold day, and Sunday, and Sunday seems to be colder than any day in New York for some crazy reason. It was cold, man, was it cold? So 
I've got my sheepskin coat on, and I've got, you know, I've got my boots and the whole bit. And uh, along comes my buddy. He comes out of the crowd there, and he says, come on, let's go, man. We want to we don't want to miss the kickoff. See, the crowd is pouring in, and he's got a hold of these, these tickets. Well, believe me, uh, they were mugging guys in the crowd for tickets. You hear a scream, and, and the body would fall, and six guys would run off into the darkness with his ticket, you know. So he's holding the whole, he's got a hold of the ticket. So <laughs> we, get, we go through the turnstile. Thousands and thousands of people are going in. And up the ramp we go, and uh, we, he looks down at the section, number in the section 27 seat, 8 and 9, whatever it is, row D. And, uh, boy, they were fantastic seats. I said, where'd you get these seats? He says, never mind. He says, don't ask. He says, you better you shouldn't know. So, you know, obviously there was some skullduggery involved, you know, murder back of the limelight one night, you know, and who knows. So uh, we've got the seats. That's all that counts. So we go down this aisle. We're up in the, uh, it was right on the mezzanine deck, you know, we're looking down, and here's the field. You could see they had plowed the snow off. You could see little drifts of snow all around the place, and the, the grass was kind of brown and green patches and those great big white lines, and they had flags. Yeah, of course, you know, they had the, the flags for the for the 50-yard line, the, the you know, all, all the 10-yard lines all the way down to the goal line. They had little flags up there, seeing they were all set in the snow. And out on a field, the, the, the ball clubs were, were running around, getting warmed up. You could see their breath blowing, and you see Tittle down there. He wore this uh, he wore this skull cap all the time. He had this little round skull cap. See, his ball is a billiard ball. He had this skull cap, and he's flipping them passes back and forth. Man, he had shoulders on him. Say, and you see Gifford going out there grabbing him with those hook passes. And uh, on the other side of the field, you see the blue and white of the hated Baltimore Colts. And uh, Johnny Unitas, big number 19, he's flipping those under. He's just casually getting his arm loose. This was when he was at his very peak. He's just flipping little passes to three or four receivers. And they're just catching them and running down there. And, uh, and you can see the defensive lines are working out in the end zones. And they're pushing each other around. Wow, the crowd is fantastic, and it's just a, the excitement, the dynamic excitement, and it's growing, it's growing, a tremendous crowd. Well, now it is time for the kickoff, and we are sitting in our seats waiting. Well, now, the one thing that, that you never do at a kickoff, a high school game's nothing, you never sit down at a kickoff. The minute the kickoff, you know, as soon as they start sweeping forward, everybody stands up. It's kind of a tradition, see? So you hear it down on the field, you hear the whistles, and they flip for which side they're going to go and who's going to get the kick and who's going to kick off. And the Giants are kicking off. The Baltimore Colts elected to receive. You got the scene? And they're, they're way down, and, and the, the goal line, the, the, the one that the Baltimore team pulls in, in the draw, they're down by first base. You know, you know what they had the, the goal line down, literally between pitcher's mound, right, right around the pitcher's mound and first base. It cut through there, see? And uh, there you see the Giants are waiting out the other end of the fleet. We're, we're leaning forward, man. And the kicker, I don't, don't remember who it was, but the kicker for the, the, uh, Yang, the, uh, the Giants sweeps forward. And, man, you could just hear the sound of that thunk. You, know, you don't really hear that on, on TV, you know, the real sound. See, it just goes thunk. You know, that, that kick of a football is a distinctive sound. In fact, if I, were, if I were producing football games for television, the one thing I would do, I would have a special uh, shotgun mic that would pick up the sound of the football. They don't do that. You hear a lot of people yelling. You also hear once in a while Howard Cosell constantly. But uh, I would love to hear the sound of the football instead of old Howie occasionally, see. But that's a great sound. Any of you have ever heard the sound of a football being kicked, 
in anger, <laughs> I mean, I don't mean just kicked out in the backyard, in anger by a pro, that is a special sound. It, it's got a sort of a, a ringing, hollow funk, you know. Thunk, it goes. Thunk, and that ball arches up way high. Man, these guys know how to kick off. You know, that ball is, is like 18 stories up in the air because they want that high arching kick so he can't get the run back. See, and the ball is coming down around the goal line. See, and the, the Baltimore... The Baltimore receiver, there were two receivers right under the goal line. One guy grabs the ball, see, and he, he immediately cuts for the sideline and tries to cut back. And you could hear the sound of the tackle. So you, Sam Huff or somebody moving forward, just go, you hear that thump, you know. Down they go, and up they, they're, they're immediately up, see, and the ground is as hard as a rock. And you can see the breath rising from the football players down there. Now they they go back into their offensive huddle. You see Unitas standing. You know, Unitas always looks around. He, his head goes up, and he's looking at the defensive line back and forth. And he ducks down, and the, the offensive team is in two rows and two tiers in front of him. You can see him talking away there. See, Unitas is one quarterback that calls his own plays, right? So he's down there calling a play. And there's dead silence in the crowd waiting. And sure enough, the first play, Tom Maddy takes the ball off left guard for 12 yards. He just zap right in, see? And the crowd, Wah! you know, defense, they're starting to yell already. You see, defense. Well, the game proceeded. It was a great game. And now by the end of the first half, the score stands at 7-all. Each team has scored a touchdown. And it is really getting cold. The temperature now is down around 3 degrees. And it's getting, you're getting very gloomy in the stadium. You see, as the sun went down, that was a big high. The stands were very high out at the polo grounds. And there were hills out there, you know, those hills around the polo ground. And as the sun began to slant down, it was almost black in the, in the polo grounds. They turned on the lights. Boy, did it get dramatic at that point. You could see their breath, big white clouds of breath coming from the defensive huddles. And now the, the second half begins. In the meantime, Marty, my buddy, Marty Lauren, who was one of the owners of the, of the Lima, he whips out of, his, out of his poncho, this great big fur poncho, and he takes this, this flask out, see, and he says, it's Quantro. I says, Quantro at the football game? He says, yeah, Quantro. He says, it works. God, was it hot. You know, that stuff just sizzled down your throat. Ah! You know, at the, yet, you know, we were so cold that drinking this stuff had absolutely, it, it didn't do anything. You know, your body was burning up this stuff. Well, now it is late in the, in the fourth period, and it is a ding-dong ball game. I mean a real ball game. They are battling down to the wire. The score stands at something like 20 to 18. Yes, it was 20 to 18. The Giants were trailing. And they had about two and a half, maybe three minutes to play. And the Giants have been driving all the way down now. And they are now, they are now at about the 30-yard line. And uh, you can see Tittle down there waiting. You know, he's looking, looking over the defensive line. The defensive, they were, they were really stunning on him. They were doing all kinds of stuff in the defensive line. So everyone expected, you know, everyone expected him to try another pass. He had two. Instead, what happens? Nope. He calls for a field goal. Dead silence. And out comes the field goal kicker. He comes trotting out, big number three. First time he's been used in the game. He comes trotting out. What do you think Shepard's doing? Well, Shepard, for some insane reason, which I had never yet been able to... I had a terrible desire to have a hot dog. Well, there were no hot dog guys selling in our, in our area at the time. So Shepard had gotten up, and he had walked all the way down to the other end where they had a little refreshment stand up there. And here I am in the end zone, way back there, see? 
And, and, and Marty says, bring back two hot dogs for me. Bring back some coffee. So I've got one of these cardboard boxes with hot dogs and coffee, and I'm walking along, and I'm looking over my shoulder, see? And they're about to kick that field goal. And I see them lining up. I look back, and I'm trying to go through the crowd with my with my coffee, see? And I hear behind me, I hear the signal. The call from the 18, 9, 9, 6, yellow, 1, 2, 3, 4. And then I hear, dunk, like that. And I hear the crowd, wah, tremendous roar. And all I felt was this fantastic shot. I got, it, it was like somebody really hit me from behind. Somebody with a head, you know, down. It just went, sock, and the coffee flies over the place. I look around. I have been hit by the damn football. Now, if there's one thing the football fan wants, it's a football getting hit in the stands. Shepard gets hit with it, and I'm looking the wrong way. The ball hit Shepard, bounced up, and 17 guys fought over it. I could have caught that thing and had it in my hip pocket. I lost the coffee. I lost the hot dogs. And what's worse, I lost the damn football. nights, friends, when I wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning and I still see that ball bouncing. Why did I have to look back? Why did I have to look at the crowd and look back? I saw him kick it. I saw him kick it. But right over, by the way, they, they it was a good field goal, in case you're curious. They, it was all right. <laughs> I could have had the ball that was kicked by a giant kicker that beat the Baltimore Colts for the championship of the NFL. What did I get? I'll tell you what I got. Coffee all over my pants. I got some mustard on my new coat. That's what I got. Never forget it. And so tonight, we salute Paul Headland, sportsman extraordinary. 99 foul balls in one season. Incredible record. So think clean thoughts, gang. Don't push too hard. It won't do you any good. And don't you forget Carnegie Hall, the 17th of October. Did you hear what I said? 8 p.m. That is an assignment. If you want to find out more about it, you call Carnegie Hall Monday quick. Quick. When everyone is on the same page, getting things done at work is easy. No matter what you do or what industry you're in, how you communicate is key. Everything you type is equally important to collaboration, and Grammarly can help. Think of it as your AI writing partner, empowering you to communicate effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact in the workplace. 96% of Grammarly users say it helps them craft more impactful writing. And as the gold standard of responsible AI, Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that allows your team to make their point and move faster. By understanding your writing and context, Grammarly provides relevant, personalized suggestions. And with tone suggestions, you can navigate even the most difficult work conversations. You can also save time from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds with one click. 
Sign up and download Grammarly for free at grammarly.com slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said. Done.